All right, everybody, we're glad you're here tonight all over the building. Let's stand together. Uh, let's sing out. Let's talk about Jesus. Sing out nice and strong. Here we go. Sing out now. One, two, three. Let's talk about Jesus, the King of kings is he, the Lord of lords supreme throughout eternity. The great I am, the great I am, the way, the truth, the life, the door. Let's talk about Jesus Super job. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the chance you've given us tonight to assemble ourselves once more in your house. Lord, we sure don't take for granted the fact that we're here, the doors are open, and folks are here to hear from heaven. I pray your blessings upon our water program. Bless the teachers. Thank you, Lord, for their giving of their times. Bless our Bible study. We'll thank you and praise you. In Christ's name, amen. Saw these two hands and your hand. Come on, sweet pea, grab your Bible. I'll get you next time. Come on, darling. You stand up here, too. Come on. I don't care. Okay. You come stand over here right over here. You come stand. Get your Bible. Get your Bible. Yep. Let's have There you go. Anybody else? Come on. Don't bother me. We can have 14 of you stand up here for me. If y'all, any of the adults want to come up here, y'all come on, too. All right. Stand right here. You can stand with her. There's plenty of room. You ain't that big. All right. Here we go. Ready? American flag. Hold it up there, Ryder. Nice and high, buddy. Nice and high. Ready? Pledge. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. Christian flag. Hold those Bibles up, girls. There you go. You too, sweetheart. There you go. Ready? Pledge. I pledge allegiance to the Bible, God's holy word. I will make it a lamp into my feet and a light into my path and hide its words in my heart that I might not sin against God. Good job. Thank you all so much. Everybody can be seated. Just a couple of quick announcements. I'm going to let everybody head out. A reminder uh, to everybody, especially our ladies of the wedding shower this uh, Saturday, 12 to 2, here in our teen room. Uh, that's uh, April 14th, 12 to 2, uh, for Brooke and for her fiancé, Justin. Keep that in mind, if you would, please. And then also a reminder that this coming Sunday, we will do our last collection for uh, the needy family uh, that we've been collecting for. So please bring those things in, and I'll put all this out on our call system as well. Before you guys head out, really want you to continue to pray for Brother Billy Whitlow. I had to have emergency surgery late yesterday. Uh, really needs a touch of the Lord at this point. All right, Cubbies, you can head out tonight. Good job, Cubbies. Thank you for sitting so still. Sparks, sparks, sparks.
Choir. Let's all stand together tonight. Grab your blue songbook. Turn to hymn number 173. Love lifted me. We'll do all three verses. Page 173 tonight in your blue songbook. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore. Very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry. From the waters lifted me, now safe am I. Love lifted me, love lifted me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me. soul's best songs, faithful, loving service to him belongs. Love lifted me, love lifted me, when nothing else could help. Love lifted me, love lifted me, love lifted me, when nothing else could help. Savior wants to be me saved today. Love lifted me, love lifted me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me, love lifted me, love lifted me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me. Thank you, Brother Ken. Aren't you glad? you have nothing else you've always got him and his love amen thank you for being here tonight prayer request time quickly this evening if you've got a, a outspoken request that you'd like to share with the church family tonight we'll start on my left anyone on my left want to share an outspoken request yes ma'am All right, absolutely. Thank you so much. Continue to lift up Sarah Lawson. She came home this uh, this afternoon from Martinsville. She still got several treatments left on her cancer. Uh, of course, the complications led her to the hospital, but she's thankful to be home tonight. Somebody else on my left, Brother Rufus? Yes, certainly. Thank you, sir. Michaela. All right. Thank you, young lady. Appreciate it. Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. Thank you. Appreciate that, Christy. Somebody else on my left. Special request tonight. Yes.
All right. Thank you, sister. Absolutely. And I think most of us could say amen to that. Thank you, ma'am. Anybody else on my left? In the middle tonight, want to share an outspoken request. Brother Biggs. Amen. 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 Appreciate you mentioning that. Yes, sir. Amen, buddy. Yes, ma'am. Absolutely, Connie. Thank you for mentioning that. Appreciate that. Yes, ma'am. Sister Helbert. All right. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Appreciate it immensely. Others in the middle tonight. I saw. Yes, ma'am. Sister Betty. Quarantined. Absolutely. I was uh, over to see uh, uh, Brother Turner, uh, and indeed it, that it's there as well. Quarantined everywhere. Somebody else tonight? Yes, yes, sir, Brother Chester. Amen. Thank you, Chester Wayne. Appreciate it. I saw some other hands go up. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. All right. Amen. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, I'm going to uh, mention a, a co-worker of mine I have shared on, with her many occasions her name is Jennifer Hollyfield she's told me I could share this uh, pastor's daughter a lot of you know her daddy uh, she's been through so many battles uh, and just cheated death it seems like the Lord's touched her over and over again she came back yesterday and again she shared with me that I could share this uh, at her most recent checkup uh, they have found more cancer and this time it's in her spine uh, and her vertebra. So please pray for Jennifer Hollyfield, if you would. Somebody else on my in the center tonight? Yes. Yep. Absolutely. What a great day when cancer will be eradicated from my vocabulary. Thank you, John. Somebody else on my right. James? Yep. 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 I, 
I encourage you to Google that tonight if you're media savvy. AB2943. Uh, incredible language in that bill. Thank you for mentioning that. Yep. I'm sorry, Sister Vi. Yes, ma'am. I'm sorry. Goodness. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, Sister Vi. Appreciate it. Yes. All right. Anyone else in the middle before? I'm sorry. I didn't mean. Uh, uh, Y'all need to stand on the pews next time and wave at me. Somebody else in the middle. I'm so sorry. All right. On the right tonight. Yes, ma'am. Amen. 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 Thank you. My sister-in-law, Patty, is going to have some surgery coming up as well. So thank you. I appreciate you mentioning that as well. Yes, Michelle? Thank you. Appreciate it. Others on my right. Lots of requests tonight. Yes, sir. And there's a spiritual need there as well. She told me I could share that, so pray for him spiritually most of all. Thank you, buddy. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you for all of these tonight, folks. Anyone else on my right? Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this evening. And Lord, uh, as always, I thank you for a church that shares one another's burdens. That's a commandment you've given us. And Lord, we don't take it lightly. And we don't take for granted the opportunity we have to bear the burdens of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, we can see firsthand how you're answered prayer in so many lives and so many situations. Lord, we know that we've got in our church, in our families, in our community, so many that need a divine touch of God. Lord, I pray that you would just uh, reach down and answer each one. And Lord, then also we ask you tonight to give us uh, the, the uh, wisdom to know how to proceed in difficult times. Bless the preaching time to follow now in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stay standing. Brother Ken. Amen. Page number 215. Heaven came down. We'll do one verse in the course. Have a time of fellowship. Page number 215. my Savior I met. Oh, what a tender, compassionate friend. He met the need of my heart. Shadows dispelling with joy I am telling. He made all the darkness de 
All right, fellas, make your way down tonight. Congregation, turn to the book of Jude, please. We'll collect our, our Wednesday evening offering. If you haven't worshipped the Lord with tithes and offerings, congregation, the book of Jude tonight as we continue in our study out of this second smallest book. Lord, bless the offering tonight. May it be what you'd have it to be. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you, ladies. Jude, tonight, if you would, please, next to last, book of the Bible. Next to shortest, book of the Bible, short only, uh, longer only than Obadiah, and that by four verses. Obadiah has 21 verses. Jude has 25. Despite its short length, there is so much packed in to these 25 verses. Tonight, we will look at verses 9 10 and 11, message number four in the series that we've entitled Contending for the Faith. Tonight's message entitled Our Present Danger. Our Present Danger. A quick background reminder, if I can, Jude, most scholars believe, the half-brother of Christ, who was writing to second-generation Christians, those uh, that had been the children of those who had seen the Lord. The year is about 66, 67, 65 A.D. And it had been Jude's desire, you will remember, to write a letter of encouragement to the church, a letter to encourage them and exalt them to continue in their faith. Yet as he put pen to paper, he was confronted with a problem that he knew he had to address. I'll pause a moment and remind all of us that letter writing was the predominant form of communication all the way up to the mid-1950s, if you will. It wasn't until the mid-20th century that letter writing was replaced with the phone, and now, of course, predominant means of communication, a different kind of phone, and electronic communication. But for thousands of years, and certainly during uh, the era in which Jude was preaching, the primary means of communication would be through letter writing. It would be Jude's expectation that the letter would be carried from church to church. So he knew that he is, as he addressed this problem, it would be read and it would be dealt with as it went from church to church. Again, a reminder that the problem that Jude is addressing and attacking head on is the problem that we refer to as apostasy that turning away from the faith, that renunciation of the faith, that refusal to accept uh, the sovereignty and the supremacy of God. 
If you look tonight at 2 Timothy 3, you don't need to turn but go home and do it. You will find that that very nature is also described as what Paul writes to Timothy. In the last days, perilous times shall come. And you see that Paul describes that what Jude references here as in a church uh, begins to describe throughout the society this turning away from the basic foundation of scriptural belief. Tonight, we're going to dive even a little bit deeper into the danger that is presented by those who openly reject the truth of God. Christian sociologist, think with me for just a second. America has always been referred to as a Christian nation. Christian psychologists now declare that America is a post-Christian nation. That in of itself is a staggering statement. That America is now viewed by Christian sociologists as a post-Christian society. That ought to scare all of us into action. Because the, the, the theme of our message or the theme of our series as described in verse 3, the last clause, that he's exhorting that we should earnestly contend for the faith. The fact that we are alive and operating in a post-Christian society should let us know that we need to be armed to give account for the hope we have within us. The question becomes, why do Wednesday night believers need something like this? After all, the Wednesday night crowd is not the ones you would define as the apostates. But I'll remind you again that Jude was not writing to the apostates, but rather he was writing to the church and telling them, you need to get ready because this has crept in and you've got to defend yourselves against it. Fast forward uh, nearly 2,000 years uh, and how much more we need that today is even more exponential. We're going to dig into these verses as Jude offers a little bit of wisdom on us and how we today identify and do battle with what I'm calling is our present danger. I'll start tonight by telling you that verse number 9 is unquestionably the hardest verse to decipher in the book of Jude. It is one of the most unusual verses in the New Testament and indeed the whole Bible. It is a verse that People go back and forth upon its meaning, and you can get lost in the nuances of it. I hope I can dig you out of it tonight as we look at the message, Our Present Danger. Let's go ahead and read all three verses if we can. Verse number 9 says, Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. Durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally as brute beasts, in those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them. Exclamation point. For they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. 
three things tonight, as usual, that we will look at. We'll take each verse, kind of tear it apart, and each one of these verses I'm going to give you a sub-point. Number one tonight, note with me, there is a word of caution. A word of caution. I'll say again that verse number nine is the most challenging verse that we'll look at in the book of Jude. We understand that there is a little dispute that's happening in verse number 9. And we get the ideology that there is a disagreement, if you will, between uh, an archangel named Michael and Satan himself. Reading verse number 9, again it says, Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil... He disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. The Lord rebuke thee. It is important that we ask ourselves some simple questions about this verse. Who is Michael? What is an archangel? What is the confrontation about? They declare it, or Jude writes, that it is over the body of Moses. What happened? to the body of Moses? I'll actually answer the last of those questions first. If you'd like to turn, you can, but I'm going to read to you from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 34, in answer to that question, what happened to the body of Moses? Verse number 5 of Deuteronomy 24 says, So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. Then verse 6 says, And he buried, he being God, buried him in a valley in the land of Moab over against Beth Peor. Listen now. But no man knoweth of his sepulcher unto this day. Those two verses tell us that when Moses died, God took him, God buried him, And none of the Israelites knew whereof God placed him. So the answer to what happened to the body of Moses is very simple, that it was left by God to decide where God would bury him. When you look at the the lawy nature of which Moses was viewed by the Jews, you understand that that was a brilliant move by God who makes no mistakes. Undoubtedly, had there been a human burial site, that plot, that burial ground, would almost have become an idol, if you will. The Israelites would have likely looked at the burial plot of Moses or the place of his death or the place of his burial uh, as a religious or a holy site. Uh, And so to prevent that from happening, the Lord in his infinite wisdom took Moses apart. When Moses died, Moses was buried by the hand of God and nobody knew where he was buried. That answers the last question, what happened to the body of Moses? But what about the other questions? Who is Michael? What is an archangel? Notice with me, if you would, the calling. Michael is mentioned in three books of our Bible. He's mentioned, of course, here in Jude. He's mentioned in Daniel. And he's mentioned in Revelation. In each of those books, he is referred to as the archangel. Oftentimes when you read about angels in scripture, they're said to be plural. Rarely do you see a single angel 
And in this case, uh, whenever you reference or read about Michael, he is never referenced in company with anyone else. He is never called one of the angels, uh, but he's always referred to as the archangel. That lets me know that whatever he's doing, he's probably the only one doing it. That lets me know that whatever his function is, uh, God put him in charge of it uh, for a specific reason. The word archangel literally means the chief angel, the head angel. When you look at all of the verses, especially those in Revelation, you find that Michael is the commander of the Lord's army. In Daniel, you find that he's the defender of the nation of Israel. And in Jude, we find that he only utters that we know of, that Scripture gives us, four words. Only four words that Michael ever utters, and it is simply this, The Lord rebuke thee. The Lord rebuke thee. I will stop and tell you there's a lot that the Lord doesn't give us about uh, what we refer to as angelology. There is much that we don't know. We know that angels are given for humans to protect us, to watch over us. There is so much that we do not understand about that spiritual world. And I'm afraid sometimes we spend an inordinate amount of time trying to understand what God never told us to begin with. The reality is that there's lots that we don't know about Michael. We do know that he's the commander of God's army. God's army of angels. There are a handful of scholars, I am not one of them, that believe that that Michael is a reference to Jesus. I'm not one of those. Some people believe it. And they use the verse in Thessalonians where it talks about God and the shout and the voice of the archangel to mean that the Lord or Jesus is going to shout for his bride. I'm not a believer in that. I believe that Michael is a very separate being, if you will, from Jesus. Uh, and we will not fully see all of Michael's power or capability uh, until the end times that are described in Revelation unfold. The call. The conflict. I didn't answer everything about Michael because simply there's just too much we don't know. We know that there's Michael the archangel. We know who de the devil is. We know who Satan is. And for whatever reason, Satan, according to verse number 7 that we just read, Satan is, excuse me, verse 9, Satan is trying to either find or steal the body of Moses. Reminder, Deuteronomy says God buried him and nobody knows what it is or where it is. So, so, so the enemy, according to verse number 9, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. Either the enemy was, had discovered and was trying to take or was trying to locate the body of Moses for reasons that we do not understand. When it happened, the Lord sent Michael to handle it. I kind of like that. <laughs> That lets me know that Michael is not somebody to be toyed with. Michael is not somebody to be played with. So when the enemy tried to take or locate the body of the Israelites' leader Moses, God sent Michael to handle it. This is the only verse that mentions this. 
And rather than getting back and forth, uh, rather than going back and forth, rather than getting into an argument and truly battling it out, Michael says four words to the enemy. The Lord rebuke thee. Here's what I want you to get out of this very challenging passage. In fact, I don't know any way to state it better than what Paul said in Ephesians 6. Let me read it. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Can I pause a moment and say, most of us, myself included, are no, in fact, none of us are a match for the enemy. None of us are a match for Satan. None of us are able to withstand the fiery darts of temptation that the enemy assails at us. Doesn't matter how long you've been saved. Doesn't matter how faithful in church you are. The enemy knows your name, your number, your social security number, your identifying facts, everything about you. And that is where he will attack you. And the way Michael defeated him is the way we ought to handle it as well. The Lord rebuke thee what's the truth in all of this simply put there are those in Jude's day there are those in our day who act as if they've got it all figured out act as if uh, the temptations of the enemy are no matter for them may I pause to simply say this church we're in a scary state of affairs when we believe that we can handle anything this world throws at us. The rules apply to everybody, and I submit to you that this reminder is that what we can't handle, the Lord can. There's a word of caution. But then, using this as a backdrop, using this unusual analogy, if you will, as a backdrop, Jude dives into some very real specifics. In fact, to be honest with you, he even reverts to name-calling. He even points some fingers, if you will. So we go from a word of caution to verse number 10, a word of contrast. Notice, if you would, that Jude identifies the language of these apostates. And as I describe this, I want you to ask yourself this one question. Are we seeing this today? Here's what he says. Notice in verse number 10. But these speak evil. But these speak evil. In describing the words of these apostates, we would say they are unquestionably defiant. Interestingly, the word that's translated evil here is the Greek word blasphemio, which means literally to speak reproachfully or to blaspheme. These individuals, these apostates that God refers to them, blaspheme the things of God and bring reproach on those who adhere to the things of God. I ask you today, are we facing this? There's never been a time where those on God's side are somehow become the enemy. Those who 
hold to the doctrines of the book have somehow become the minority. Not only is the language defiant, it is ignorant. Because it says they speak evil of those things which they know not. Let me put this in words that we'll understand. Again, referencing these apostates, Jude says they don't know anything about God and they love to blaspheme God. They don't know anything about the Lord and they love to blaspheme the Lord and ridicule those who serve the Lord. It's almost as if God was allowing Jude to look at modern American society. Rather than seeking truth, they reject truth. Yet they have never experienced it, and so now they blaspheme it. Not only the language. Now we get into the real weeds, the lies. These are things that if the preacher said, he'd get voted out. But this is what the book says. Notice, he describes their character. In that same verse, he says, But these speak evil of those things which they know not, But what they know naturally, look at that parenthetical expression separated by commas. He calls them brute beasts. He's referring to these apostates as brute beasts. That literally means those who are destitute of reason, absurd and unreasonable. If I could put it to you in another way, Jude declares something that I think we all need to get a hold of. It is impossible to reason with the unreasonable. It is impossible to reason with the unreasonable. I challenge you tonight, arguing over Scripture is usually a fool's errand. It is never profitable and usually ends up in a heated debate for which there is no conclusion. I'm not suggesting that you shouldn't pray for those. You absolutely should. But you simply cannot reason with someone who refuses to reason with what the Lord says. I shared it last week. It goes to a simple foundational truth. Either we believe that man needs God, or we believe that man doesn't need God. And those two foundational truths are what our entire life is typically crafted upon. Their corruption. Again, he says, what they know naturally, those things, they corrupt themselves. What they know naturally, in those things, they corrupt themselves. Again, what that simply says, according to Jude, is these apostates when left to their own sinful desires, end up conducting themselves in a way that is reprehensible to God. Now, we talked about some of the sins last week, but let's dive a little further. It is a staggering day. When you click on a, a typical newspaper, click on a website for a USA Today, a New York Times, a Chicago paper, a national newspaper, or, heaven forbid, magazines like People or other things that describe uh, a society or pop society, if you will. And what you often see in these things are staggeringly crazy. 
let's just be clear, crazy, crazy stuff. What comes naturally is oftentimes counterintuitive to what Scripture says. So what am I saying? It comes down to this dividing line. Do we come from a foundation where we say man needs God? Or we come from a foundation where we say man doesn't need God. And oftentimes when we come from that foundation where man doesn't need God, what comes naturally staggers the human mind. It lets us know that when Paul writes that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that he means all. It lets us know that when we talk about the sinfulness of mankind, there is a deep sinfulness that left unchecked defiles humanity according to Scripture. And let me be blunt, don't laser focus in on one or two pet sins. We all know uh, that we can find ourselves but for the grace of God. Notice tonight, the last verse. We go from a word of caution to a word of contrast. Finally, a word of certainty. I really like what Jude does here. To help the reader identify with what he's talking about. To help them identify the characteristics of these people. Jude mentions three biblical stories. Three Bible stories, if you will, from the Old Testament. The characters of which most every reader of that day would identify instantly. When Jude mentions these three stories or these three individuals, they all know exactly what he's talking about. Let me give you an example. If somebody were to walk in here tonight and I said, good, day in the morning, his hair looks like Donald Trump's, you would know exactly what I meant. I wouldn't have to show you a picture. I wouldn't have to describe it. You would know exactly what I was talking about. That's nothing sin, shame, or sorrow. That's just a simple statement. If, if somebody walked in tonight and I said, that, that, that fellas is as good looking as the pastor at SAGBC, you know what? Never mind. <laughs> you get the point. By comparing the apostates to these three characters, Jude is helping them understand what he's referring to. So what does he call them? Look, if you would, at verse number 11. He says, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. They've gone the way of Cain. I know Wednesday nights, you know the story, but I want to remind you. The two eldest sons of Adam and Eve. It's time to sacrifice. God's already told them what to do. He's already reminded them and let them know that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. How do you know? Uh, because mama and daddy had on the animal skins, and you don't get animal skins without dead animals. And so when it's time to sacrifice, when it's time to come worship, Abel uh, brings an animal sacrifice, as he was commanded to do. It makes no sense to our, man, to our head. Why do you need blood? Because God said so. Why do you need a dead animal? Because God said so. It's ugly. It's unattractive. It's messy. But that's what God said. And then here comes Cain. His uh, 
presentation is beautiful to the eye. His presentation looks appealing. If you've got a basket full of bloody animal and a basket full of fruits and vegetables, which one do you want? But here's the problem. God said, well, I'm back that up. I might take a bloody animal. That's because you can fry that booger up. Amen. The reality is Cain wanted to come to God on his terms. Cain's representation represented what he could do with his hands, what he was able to bring to God, what he was all about. You know this, but it's worth stating. So many today seek to set their own terms and conditions in regard to how they're going to serve the Lord. We don't tell him how it's done. He tells us how it's done. Not only is there the mention of Cain, look at the middle section. Well, unto them, they've gone the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam. And note those next two words, for reward. And ran greedily after the error of Balaam. He doesn't stop there. He even identifies it more. For reward. A story that's perhaps a little bit less familiar, but described in Numbers 22, 23, and 24. Balaam, the prophet of God, denied what he knew was right and sought the curse of the Israelites according to the desires of King Balak. He conspired to lead the Jews into sin and idolatry so that he himself could enjoy financial gain and prosperity. I don't mean to be unkind, but I don't know how else to state it. Balak was the original prosperity preacher, lining his own pockets, taking men away from God and lining his own pockets so that he could enjoy what they could not. He chose... Reward on this side instead of the God of heaven. And in describing the apostates, Jude says, they're like Balaam. They're like Cain. They're worried about what they can do. They're worried about their own personal treasure, not what the treasures upon heaven. And then finally, a story that may be very unfamiliar to most New Testament Christians. Notice what it says at the end of that verse. And perished in the gainsaying of core. C-O-R-E, core. If you've got a reference Bible, it probably gives you some indication that this is actually referencing a story found in Numbers chapter 16. Core, his Greek name, his Hebrew name, Korah, K-O. R-A-H, a fascinating story, simple yet full of meaning. No doubt Moses had all he could handle leading the two million Israelites. So one day, Korah wakes up and says, you know, I'd sure be a good assistant. I sure would be the one that could take all this stuff off of Moses, never once consulting God never deciding if this is what he should do according to the plan of God, he decided that this was the right thing to do. 
And in so doing, he gathered up 250 of the best men of Israel. And together, they stomped before Moses and said, We want Korah now to be in charge. We want to put Korah in charge. Moses, you take a break. You go ahead and read the rest of Numbers, and you will find that God opened up the earth and swallowed all of them instantly. It's a staggering story with such an easy-to-understand message. I'm going to give you what I think the application is. One of the most scary characteristics that marks our society today is the lack of respect we have for authority. The lack of respect that we have developed in our culture for authority is terrifying. Whether it's the military, whether it's the, the, the nation's leaders, and I don't care what political stripe you wear. I don't care who resides in that White House. He or she is the president, and that's the authority. Whoever resides in the governor's mansion, whoever wears the badge, whoever wears the uniform, whoever is the boss, whoever's in the pulpit, those are the authorities that God has placed in our lives for our protection, for our benefit. And we live in an age today, God help us, where not only do we question it, we spit on it. We denigrate it. We decide that authority is wrong. Can I pause a moment and say the absence of authority is not freedom. The absence of authority is anarchy. The opposite of authority is not I can do whatever I want. The absence of authority is anarchy. And we see that as well all over society. Again, you go look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, and you'll find that Paul says that's a description of the last days. We've poured a lot of oil tonight. And I want to ask you a simple statement. Is this for the lost man, or is this for the saved man? It's for us. Jude is writing for the church. So what does that mean for us? This is why. We do things like Civil Servant Sunday. I'm going to be honest with you. You've heard me say this. Four years ago, when they started rioting our police across the country, God planted it in my heart, we're going to thank the police. We're going to promote what they do. There's many of them who sit in these pews. They may not be saved, but I want them to know we appreciate that they run to what we run from. That's why we're going to continue to promote our military and thank God for what they do. We're going to continue to pray for the leadership of our country, regardless if they're Democratic, Republican, or Independent, or any stripe they're in. That's the authority God has given us. They serve us. We need to pray for them. Stand to our feet. Thank you for your attention tonight. We've got to continue as the church to continue to watch out. Next week, Jude really takes target practice against these folks. I mean, he lets them have it. So we're going to continue to study exactly what he says. We're going to be dismissed in prayer this evening. And as always, if you want to come to the altar, you're welcome to do that. I'm going to pray as we dismiss tonight. Lord, we thank you so much for this book. This tiny, tiny little book of Jude, packed 
full of good godly application. Lord, I recognize, as do those folks in our congregation tonight, that we do indeed live in perilous times. At the same time, God, we recognize that as the church, we can still stand for what's right, even in a dark hour. And in fact, the light shines brightest when it is the darkest. So, Lord, in these dark days, when the world just seems to be turned upside down, when our country seems to be turning away from the very foundational principles upon which it was built. Help us as the remnant to be the light that flickers, drawing people to Jesus Christ. Lord, as we continue to study this book of Jude, we're reminded that the only way for us to win the lost is to love the lost. Help us love them in such a way that they recognize that Jesus died so that they could have life and have it more abundantly. Thank you for this church. Lord, I love Wednesday nights just to be able to unpack the principles that are founded in the Word of God. And Lord, I thank you for folks who come to learn, come to hear what you've laid upon our hearts, what we've studied to bring to them. Lord, bless our services on Sunday. Those in our church who would be here but for their physical conditions, bless them. Help them, Lord to get back so that they may be among us. Lord, we sure love you. We can't thank you enough for all that you do for us every day. We praise you for being such a good God. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed tonight. Be with us on Sunday. Ladies, don't forget Saturday's shower.